Hi, my name is Greg Clunas of the Tiny Leaps Big Changes podcast, and you are listening to The Inspiration Place with Miriam Shulman. It's The Inspiration Place podcast with artist Miriam Shulman. Welcome to The Inspiration Place podcast, an art world inside a podcast for artists by an artist, where each week we go behind the scenes to uncover the perspiration and inspiration behind the art. And now... Your host, Miriam Shulman. Well, hello. This is your host, artist Miriam Shulman, and you're listening to episode number 20 of the Inspiration Place podcast. I am thrilled that you're here. Today, I've invited an author, creator, podcaster in the self-development space whose new book, Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, is about to hit the process. In fact, you can pre-order it now. So in this episode, you'll discover how to crush procrastination, tools to form helpful daily habits, whether your goal is to make creativity a daily habit or something else to establish your goals in 2019, and how to keep moving forward in your goals this year. So let me introduce to you our guest. He's the host, creator, and author of Tiny Leaps, Big Changes, a podcast book and community dedicated towards bridging the gap between the knowledge of what to do and the act of doing it. His company, Tiny Ventures, focuses on creative, practical solutions for self-improvement. Please welcome to the Inspiration Place, maker, artist, entrepreneur, content creator, Greg Clunas. Welcome, Greg. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute honor. Well, Greg, by the way, so just for my audience, so Greg and I actually know each other in, in real life. So, Greg, you're so mature that I was completely shocked by the beginning of your book. So it says that you arrived in 2000 as a seven-year-old. So, so are you really still in your 20s? Yeah, I am uh, 26, about to be 27, which I've heard is when it goes downhill. So we'll see. I'm 50. <laughs> it does not go downhill at 27. There, I, I, I do have some argument about peaking around 36, like physically. Mm-hmm. I think that was, for me at least, that was like my physical, if I could go back to my body face uh-huh. then that would that would be nice but <laughs> no no 50 50 is fine too all right so there's so much i want to dig into about your book and i'm really glad that you're here so we can help my audience i know that they have a lot of big goals for this year mostly people they tell me that they want to create art but for some reason they put it off do you yeah. find that that's true that people will even put off things that they enjoy oh 100 percent. i mean it, listen it's it's one of those things that it's it's challenging to even understand why we do this. As humans, we have our set of things that we love and we want to do more of them, whether that is art or fitness or spending more time with our loved ones, whatever it might be. We want to do more of them and we have this deep desire for it. And so it drives us crazy when we can't figure out why is it we're not doing that. And and so what I've found in... 300 plus episodes of the podcast, the interviews I've done for this book and for the show and the the research that I've gone through is that a lot of it just stems from a few different things. There is fear. So there is this fear of, well, if I actually take that step, now I have to be judged based on action mm. rather than based on inaction. And, and so let me add a little context to that. Uh, in my own experience, I really, really wanted to, a couple of years ago, uh, start working out and getting into the gym. And in the back of my head, as soon as I did that, 
I would have all these results and be able to stick to it and blah, blah, blah. In your fantasy. In my fantasy, exactly. And until I actually stepped into a gym, that fantasy was real. Right. The second I step into a gym, I can no longer judge myself based on the fantasy. I have to judge it based on actuality. So let's bring it back to what my audience And so let's bring it back to art. So people who maybe are putting off painting is because that painting is gorgeous until you actually start it. Is that yeah. right? Is that and what you're doing? And now all of a sudden, you you have to face the the truth that maybe you aren't where you want to be as a painter, or maybe you don't love it as much as you say you do, or maybe you aren't able to prioritize it because you have to choose between your family or or painting and, and spending more time with them. And until you have to actually pick up a paintbrush and test those things. You can just live in a fantasy world. And, and that's why you end up putting it off. Mm. And the fantasy is usually better than reality? Pretty much always. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> until, until, and this is what Tiny Leaps is about, until you sit down every single day and work at it and eventually create a reality that matches up with that fantasy. But that takes a long time and a lot of work. And the fantasy ends up being better just because it's an easier buy-in. Now, I've seen your drawing. So you have some art experience. Is that right? Yeah, so I uh, I graduated with an art degree. Um, oh, tell me about that. It was an interesting... So college in general was an interesting <laughs> experience. I actually ended up in art in my senior year. Uh, prior to that, I had no idea that I had any skill in, in art whatsoever. I had always convinced myself that I wasn't a good drawer and couldn't paint and yada, yada, yada. And it wasn't until junior year, I went and studied abroad in Australia and a friend of mine there was an artist and she was incredible at it. Like the, the stuff she could produce just blew me away. But what really stood out to me was just how much she enjoyed her classes and how much she enjoyed her coursework and, and so on and so forth. And I had never felt that for school. I had mm. never felt that level of connection to it. And so when I, I came back from that trip, I decided I was going to enroll in art and see whether or not I could have that same connection to it. And it, it turns out I did. Uh, Mm -hmm. It it became something that I don't necessarily still practice to this day because it was never really about the drawing or the painting. It was about the ability to create stuff. It was about this ability to take things in my head and give it a physical form, whether that's through photography or sculpting or painting or drawing or, or animation, whatever the medium. It was this superpower in my mind of taking something that is abstract and just an idea and making it into a real thing and putting it into the world to be judged. And to this day, I still approach my business, my content, everything I do from that artist standpoint of I just want to create things. Yeah, I was just about to say that don't you find that whole skill of creating something from nothing is what gave you the courage to I'm going to create a podcast and I'm going to write a book. And I mean, all those things take a tremendous amount of courage to put to create something out of nothing. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I I love so much about artists, because it is a different way of looking at the world. Uh, People, most people don't recognize how possible it is to make a thing, to take a thing from your head and make it into a physical thing. Um, Artists have to do that in order to satisfy that urge they have to do it. And and so because of that, they end up making some of the best entrepreneurs and some of the best mm-hmm. writers and some of the best uh, just creators in society. And they end up adding the most value 
to society because they have had to go through that process and they don't have to be convinced that it's possible. They already know it's possible. I love that. But let's dial back now to people who maybe are still in. Now, I know in the book, you have several stages of people. So if somebody's at the stage where they want to do but haven't started yet, what, Mm -hmm. what is that called? Yeah. So in the book, I talk about this model called the six stages of personal change. And the first stage of that is kind of getting that initial inspiration to even consider a change. So let's say that you want to paint more, you want to draw more, you want to do whatever your art is. But until you get something that sparks that inspiration anew, you're never even going to consider taking action. Because as humans, we fall into routines, we fall into habits. And every single day, we have our... I'm going to wake up, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to spend time with the kids, uh, maybe do some sort of uh, activity after that, and then I'm going to go to sleep. And we go through that same process until an external force drives a little bit of frustration and inspiration to it. We never change that. And, And so that stage one is you need to have something happen that finally makes you say, you know what, I need to do this. And for many of you listening, that is the beginning of the year. And and that's the beautiful thing about resolutions and and New Year's Day and this time of year is everyone wants to make a change. So we can use that as our moment of frustration and inspiration. But the key is in stage two, which is when we start looking at what our options are and how we can incorporate more of these activities, the painting, the drawing, the art into our life, that we need to then find a way that connects with us. And so between stage two and stage three, we're just looking at, could this be possible? And then we need to find something that says, yes, this is possible. So that might mean carving out 20 minutes a day, uh, waking up 20 minutes earlier and doing your art then. That might mean on your lunch break at work, starting to do more digital art because that's much more accessible from a computer rather than bringing an easel around with you. Right. And what Uh, I tell my students to do is you find a sketchbook that fits in your bag. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the one you're going to use. You know, you put the pens in the bag and when you're bored, you reach for Mm -hmm. that instead of your phone. Yeah, there was there's a great quote about photography that the best camera that you could ever get is the one that you have on you. Yes. And and that is 100% true for every single type of art. The thing you have on you, the thing that's most accessible to you is the thing that you're going to end up using. And so as you are navigating this time of year where you are recommitting to this goal of, of pursuing your art, of creating, as you are going through that process, look for those moments in your life where you can say, I can squeeze it in here, even if it's just for five minutes. If I'm sitting waiting for the printer to print out that document my boss asked me for, I can whip out a sketchbook and just doodle something, Um, whatever those moments are. And the key here isn't about the five minutes. It's about your connection to that thing. It's about your identity of that thing. Because one of the biggest hurdles for people to overcome as they are trying to make a change in their life is simply that they don't identify as the type of person who does that thing. So if you haven't done art in a while, if you haven't found the time to do it, you don't currently identify as the type of person who prioritizes that. Okay, let's break that down a little bit because 
you know, if somebody wants to become the type of person who goes to the gym, like the first mm-hmm. step is to join a gym. So do you have ideas of what somebody might want to do who wants to put on that identity of an artist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the same answer regardless of what you're trying to do. If you want to become the type of person who does X, you need to do X. And so mm. from there, how do we reverse engineer that for art? Well, let's say you are a painter. You want to become more of the type of person who actually prioritizes painting, then you need to prioritize painting. Even if that means three minutes out of your day is going to go towards that. And that three minutes is very, very small. This is why I call it tiny leaps, big changes. That three minutes isn't ultimately going to move the needle on anything. But by prioritizing those three minutes, you start to trick your brain into thinking you are that type of person who prioritizes it. And as you gain that identity, it becomes easier to prioritize it more. Now, do you suggest people start tracking like this or writing it down? 100%. The more, regardless of your goal, the more you can get data on it to act on, the better. Because what ends up happening is by the end of the day, we think we've done more than we actually have. Uh, We Mm. think that we've prioritized it more than we actually have. Maybe we read a couple blog posts about a different technique or maybe we uh, research new paintbrushes or whatever it is. And we think we are prioritizing it. But if we actually sat down and logged the amount of time spent actually painting versus not painting, we would find that it's far less than we realized. Now, that's not a bad thing. So what's most important is in the doing. What's most important is in the doing. Second to that is being aware of how much you're actually doing. And then third to that is changing your behavior so that you do more. But you can't change it unless you're aware and you can't be aware unless you do. Hmm. I love that. Okay. So now I just want to move on a little bit. We may go back to this since procrastination is so important. Sure. Oh, actually, what's related is you talk a lot in the book about how your brain actually wants you to stay the same. Do you want to, do you want to talk about that before we move on to my next thing? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a survival mechanism. It's one of those leftover things from the old hunter-gatherer days where if you were not a part of the group, if you were not part of the culture, you would get kicked out. And being kicked out meant death. Now, obviously, that's not really the case anymore. but well, they we always still... kill the artists first in every revolution. <laughs> so, yeah. Very true. Very true. But um, in our current society, that is just one of these leftover things of we have our lives, we have our safety, the thing that we consider safe. And any deviation from that is going to be considered dangerous because it is different, because it is change, because it is not a part of the norm. And so, if we can become aware of that, because it's going to happen, it is a, a, a safety mechanism we have built in. But if we can at least be aware that it's happening, we can now understand that by taking that behavior, it's not that we're actually scared of it. It's not that we actually are nervous of that behavior or of the change or the potential outcomes of it. It's because it's different that we feel those things. But if we can understand that, then all of a sudden we can push past it. Because now we're aware, well, there's no actual danger here. My brain just thinks there might be. Okay, so your brain is going to resist any kind of change, whether you're going on a diet, trying to paint more, trying to use the phone less, whatever that change is, your brain wants inertia and wants you to stay exactly the same because it'll feel safe if it doesn't change. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, and that's a big reason why... uh, 
think like we fall into routines on a day-to-day basis, largely because this set of activities has been categorized as safe. Everything outside of that, if we've never tried it or if we have very little experience with it, could theoretically be dangerous. So we just avoid it at all costs. Got it. Okay. So now you also talk about the passion pit in your book. What is the passion pit? Yeah, so that sounds dangerous. (laughs) Well, it can be. And it's less so, I think, for uh, your listeners, because so much of it does come from passion. Like so much of being an artist does come from you need to create, you need to put yourself out into the world and and just have that, that experience. But I call it the passion pit because it's something I personally fell into. And so a few years ago, when this message of follow your passion, pursue your dreams, so on and so forth, started getting more and more popular, that convinced younger version of Greg that uh, if I just found my passion, I would be super happy and life would be amazing. Now, those of you listening know that that's probably not actually that true. Um, regardless of whether or not you're doing something you're passionate about, things are sometimes going to be hard and things are sometimes going to be difficult and you're going to hate it. Just as the last time you picked up a paintbrush and it felt like this was a sucky session, like sometimes that happens. It and does, because sometimes it's, it's like you do it and it sucks and you're like, yeah. I'm never going to paint something good again. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and it happens regardless of how much you love the thing. Yes. But one of the big issues with pursuing your passion and saying, well, unless it's my passion, I'm not going to do it, mm. is that you're also passing up on all the opportunities that could give you the chance to do your passion. So this is something I've been getting real loud about is pursuing your passion and choosing that as a career, choosing that as a, a way to make money. That is something you have to earn. That is something like you you can't quit your job and start a business if you've never sold anything. You Mm. can't quit your job and start a business if you don't know how to serve a customer. Like There are skills that you need to earn before you have the the potential to make that even feasible. And you have to be willing to eat the shit sandwich that goes along with it. 100%. 100%. However, if you listen to the Follow Your Passion movement... It says that, well, you should find your passion first, and then all these other things will fall into place. And I just don't think that's true. No. And the other reason is because, like, let's say my passion was to create pink doilies, Mm -hmm. right? You know, you you (laughs) still have to make things that people want to make money. You can make things all all day long if you want to that nobody wants, but people may not pay you for it. They probably won't. But here's the crazy thing. Let's say your passion is to make pink doilies there might be a large number of people out there who want to purchase those doilies. But if you don't have the skill of doing that research and figuring out, is that market there? Then you cannot pursue that as a business. You need to earn that skill first. And then you can test the market. And then you can decide, should I pursue this or not? Instead, what we see people doing is, hey, I've found my passion. I really want to do this. I feel like I deserve to do this because it's my passion. I don't have any of the skills, but it'll fall into place. They quit their jobs. And then two years later, they're on food stamps. Right. With with an apartment full of pink doilies. With an apartment full of pink doilies (laughs) that nobody wants to purchase. Or maybe they do. But if you hadn't learned how to, like you said, put it on Instagram, put put up Mm -hmm. a website, do all that stuff, you can't just be the pink doily, you know 
guru on the mountaintop and then the marketing will take care of itself. I know a lot of artists will yeah. think, oh, if I only found a gallery, they're going to do it all for me. It just right. doesn't work it's that not way. The case. It's no. not the case. Um, and so one of the people I, I interview for the book is a gentleman named Cal Newport who wrote the book, uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You, which I highly recommend. But his point of view is that passion is created, not found. And so by putting in the work, by getting good at something, as a result of getting good, developing autonomy, developing community, developing all of these different things, uh, that's when you start to feel passionate about something rather than, hey, I'm passionate about this. Let me now develop all those things. And that I found to be the model that works for me, that allows me to capitalize on opportunities that are right in front of me, even if I'm not necessarily super passionate about it. If it's going to get me to the next level, then I'm still going to pursue it and not just throw it in the to the wayside, which is what I used to do. So that's why I call it the passion pit, because if you listen to the overarching message that is there, you will fall in and you will find yourself in a place that is not super comfortable, is not super fun, and could have been avoided had you just recognized that it's not about the passion, it's about the skills you have that earn you the right to pursue that Mm. passion. And then for any naysayers out there who say, well, you're not a real artist if you're not doing what you want to do, Michelangelo depended on commissions from the Pope. Yeah. Right. And he did not want to paint that Sistine Chapel. (laughs) He didn't. Every single artist that we talk about today ran on commissions. That's how the art system worked back then. Yes. I mean, yeah. So, uh, you know, he could have said, you know what, I really don't want to paint the God scene. Can I go paint the milkmaid? And the right. Pope would said, sure, but I'm not paying you for that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, you can do it. Right. Uh-huh. And go put a pink doily on her head, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh In your book, you talk about the four sins of personal self-development, and we don't have time to get into all four of them, but could you just share one of them with our listeners? Yeah, so I'll I'll actually share two that I think are probably the most damaging. Um, So the first is comparing yourself to others. This Mm. is something I am incredibly guilty of. Uh, I've spent so much of my life basically taking my own activity and saying, well, it's not that great because it doesn't match up to this person's or this other person's. Um, The big flaw here is I don't know that person's activity. I know the results. So I'm not actually comparing. Right. Right. Exactly. I'm not actually. You don't see the whole picture. 100%. And so from a, a logical standpoint, it doesn't even make sense. It's comparing apples to oranges and saying they're equal. And so since I can't know anybody else's activity, I can only know the result, uh, I should just look at my own activity and decide, am I happy with this or not? And, and that's the key word here. Am I happy with this? If I'm not, then I'll put in more time. If I am, then great. It doesn't really matter what anyone else is doing. The other thing I want to add, and this is not completely related to what we're talking about, but it covers sure. like the envy, is if you're comparing yourself to somebody right now, your story right now to their story right now, you don't always know the beginning of someone's yep. story and you don't know the ending of someone's mm-hmm. story. So you don't know if they you know, grew point. up, but you know, their father, you know, my father died of cancer. Most people don't know that about me. They just see mm-hmm. me as like living in Westchester, blah, blah, blah. But they don't know how I grew up on Social Security. Right. Likewise, there are other people who maybe look like me, how I am now. You don't know what's going to happen to them over the next 10 years. So yeah. 
there's no reason to like envy somebody else because you don't know their whole story. You just maybe know like the snapshot. And like you said, you may not even that snapshot may not, that may be a very deceptive snapshot too. Not even to mention some people's books might be longer or shorter than yours. Right. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. I make a comparison at all. And by the way, I recognize that me saying that doesn't make it any easier not to. I still right. do it every now and then. Well, but, you're not enlightened yet. So, but the key, and, and this is ultimately the goal of the book the key is identify what the problem is and take actions to fix it. So, mm-hmm. do I still compare myself to others? Yes, but less than I did two years ago. And two years from now, it'll be less than now because every single day I'm trying to catch myself in those moments and course correct it. And that's slowly reprogramming my habit because everything is a habit, whether it's it's something you're choosing as a habit or not, everything is a habit. And so I'm slowly reprogramming that habit of comparing myself to others and replacing it with comparing myself to myself. Love that. Uh, and that might take me 10 years, but it will happen. And so the second rule, and it's actually the third in the book, but uh, the one I want to bring up is to stop lying to yourself. Mm. Lying to yourself about your activity is the worst thing you can do for your own personal growth. And the reason we do it is because we don't want to hurt ourselves. We want to believe that we are the best versions of ourselves. We want to convince ourselves of that. And so when we are taking activities that are artist adjacent. So maybe we're shopping for brushes. Maybe we are making a plan for our next painting. Maybe we're attending paint nights or something like that. Like we convince ourselves that I'm doing everything I can, or we convince ourselves that we're doing so much. Mm. But in actuality, there was three hours yesterday that was wasted on Instagram that could have been spent painting. Now, should you beat yourself up over that? Absolutely not. But you do need to be aware of it because if you're aware of it, you can course correct in the future. If you're not aware of it and it's just happening unconsciously, then you'll never be able to make a change because you'll always say, well, I don't have time. I actually had to put the time limit on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. With the new iOS, it was telling me how much time I was actually spending. (laughs) And I want that hour back. So listen, it's brutal. When you see the actual numbers, you can't help but make a change because you see, like, uh, my, uh, I have, I have a tracker on my phone just telling me how much time I spend on apps and how many times I've unlocked it and so on and so forth. I hate that. And one day it said that I spent eight hours on (gasps) my phone over the course of a 24 hour day. All right, but and some I, of that was answering emails, right? <laughs> or, no, yeah, like some right, of it was okay. productive right. for sure. But eight hours on my phone in general is way more time than I want to be on yeah. my phone. Yeah. And I didn't even realize because it was these short bursts throughout the day. So mm-hmm. had I not been tracking that, I would have lied to myself at the end of the day and said, well, I didn't really spend that much time. But no, I actually spent an entire work day on my phone right. over a 24-hour window. So we just need to be ruthless about tracking our activity and kind to ourselves about that activity, but be willing to love ourselves enough to give ourselves that self-love and change that activity when we understand what the actual data says. That way, we don't lie to ourselves. We have hard data that's staring us in the face. We literally can't lie to ourselves because it's there and and we're able to make changes from that. So those are the 
the two biggest and most important lies that I think we all do. That's amazing, Greg. I am so thrilled that you were able to come and inspire my audience today. And I just wanted to let everyone know that you can get his book at shulmanart.com forward slash tiny leaps that will take you directly to the so it's on pre-order. It's, it's coming out January 15th. Is that right? Yep. January 15th. It's available everywhere. Also in audiobook. So whichever method you feel like consuming it, it is there. Perfect. And I also have a free Audible subscription offer for my listeners. So they can go to shulmanart.com forward slash Audible if they want to listen to your sexy voice. Is it you? Is it you? <laughs> I'll edit that out uh, yeah, if it's yeah, not you. Okay. It's All right. Okay. That was, that was one, uh, one thing I had to make sure was in it. Um, doesn't make sense to be a podcaster and not read No, right. Okay. <laughs> and of course, you can listen to Greg's podcast, Tiny Leaps, which is on all major podcast directories. So I hope you check that out. And you can get all of this in the show notes on my blog, that's shulmanart.com forward slash 20. You'll find a link to his podcast, a link to the book, a link to his website. So you can find out about all the wonderful things that Greg does if you want to keep working with him. All right. So Greg, is there anything else you want to add before we call this episode complete? Yes. But before that, if your listeners want, the book comes out January 15th. This is dropping on the first. If they want a free chapter, I'm going to uh, give you the link to that. So you guys can find it in the show notes that Miram will put up. Perfect. Okay. And so with that, I want to end it with uh, something that I've ended every single one of the 315 podcast episodes I've released, with the exception of three that were um, uh, unscripted related to the passing of my father. And the message is that all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day. And the reason that I end every single episode with that is because it really is the core philosophy that I think if we all adopted would allow us to make those changes. Uh, the reason many people don't change their lives is because they know what to do, but what they know they should do will take them 5, 10, 15, 20 years to actually see results from. And that's a hard thing to wrap your mind around. But I want to remind you that one, that time will happen regardless. Mm -hmm. And you can either choose to be in the same spot you're in now or you can be in a better place because you decided to take action now. And two, you have no idea what's going to happen on the journey. You can start taking small steps today, even though they don't seem like they'll have results for 20 years. And then halfway through that journey or a quarter of the way through that journey, something external pops up because you've been taking actions that allows you to accelerate that growth. And that's exactly what happened for me with this book. That's exactly what's happened for me with my podcast with the business that I'm building, with everything I've ever had in my life. It's because I took these small steps that were right in front of me. And then somewhere along the line, an external force came in and allowed it to accelerate. So instead of 20 years, it took me 10. Instead of 10, it took me five, so on and so forth. So all big changes come from the tiny leaps you take every day. If you are trying to paint more, do the small stuff every single day that you can actually fit in. And that will allow you to find those opportunities later on to make a bigger change. Well, that's great. All right, Greg, thank you so much for joining me today. And that's so a wrap. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you for listening to the Inspiration Place podcast. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash shulmanart, on Instagram at shulmanart, and of course on shulmanart.com. Hey, if you enjoy this podcast, you have to check out the Inspired Insiders Club. It's my monthly membership program where you get weekly inspiration from me. Every week, I share with you techniques that I use in my own art for drawing and painting in both watercolor and mixed media. Plus, you'll get a weekly idea video so that you never run out of ideas for how to make the art your own in your own style. If you're feeling stuck in your art and your goal for 2019 is to unleash greater creativity or to spend more time painting, but you need a little help creating that habit, then the Inspired Insiders Club will help you get there. Come join me over at shulmanart.com. That's shulman with a C. shulmanart.com forward slash join. I'd love to have you join me in the Inspired Insiders Club. See you there.